Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So after returning from uh, deployment in 2008, Jessica and I were married and I continued on my path of going into full-time ministry and I knew I needed to be connected to a mentoring type of church, mentoring type of pastor. The church we attended before had experienced just a tremendous amount of growth. I mean, a couple thousand people in about five years. And while it was a really great church, they were very busy with some other things and I needed a little bit more hands-on um, trying, learning about ministry and serving as, as a pastor. And so we were looking for that type of environment and I remember talking to my mom. She says, well, why don't you call the state denomination board? And so I did what probably most of you would do. I said, well, what's that? She briefly explained because I had never thought about that ever a day in my life. And I said, what is that? And so she told me about the denomination board. So I said, okay. She, she told me about it. So I called two. I, there's two state mission boards. I didn't know the differences. I found out later. But I called the two state mission boards and said, hey, I'm looking at going into ministry. And I was just wondering if y'all can help me out. Let me know about churches and things like that. And so I got called back from both of them. And both returned my call. And I, was, I returned my calls. And I was able to sit down and have lunch with both, both boards. And one of them I sat down with, and they, uh, his name was Jim, and he brought another younger pastor, older, older than me, but, but young by pastor standards. And we sat down and talked. He got to know me, and he told me all about the mentoring they do, told me about the leadership stuff they have. And he was excited to help me and said, hey, we want to help you grow to be who God has called you to be. I said, oh, that's pretty great. Well, these are some really great people. And then I met with the other place. Oh, and he gave me a list of mentoring-type churches and pastors who'd be a good fit. And I said, oh, this is great. This is really nice. These denomination boards are pretty cool. And then I met with the other one. He proceeded to tell me the entire time how the other group was wrong. Like, I'm, I'm not joking. That was his sales pitch. The other people are wrong. Here's why. And I was like, I don't understand what's going on here. One group says, we'd love to help you and live out your calling. The other group just told me that the other people were wrong. Well, who would you have picked? And perhaps that can set the tone for where we're going today because you have to understand my natural inclination, and I hope yours is too, is how can I help? Or like, I want to be the type of person, I hope you want to be the person that wants to help other people. There's a difference between being helpful and being right, isn't there? If you're the type of person that wants to be right, it doesn't mean you're always helpful. You can stand on the banner of truth and nobody likes you including you, all right? You don't really like you if you're like that. But if you're gonna be helpful, well, then you have to be right because it's not helpful to give you bad information, is it? But I say, here, I wanna help you cook this dinner and I gave you the wrong ingredients, would that be helpful? Well, no, so in order to be helpful, I mean, I have to be right because in order to be helpful, I have to be right. But there's a different way of looking at these things. Do I wanna help people or do I just wanna stand on the banner of being right? Make sense? Good. 
Because today we're gonna to talk about a general topic as we wrap up this series. A lot of your questions I would categorize fell into this and there was a lot of them, but today is gonna to be a, an overview on how to read your Bible. And that might sound like the most boring sermon you've ever listened to before. And if that's you, I promise I'll try to be helpful, give you some good information. Others of you, you're gonna sit here and try to figure out where I'm wrong. And don't worry, I'll give you absolute plenty to be upset about today, okay? And just for the record, please email scott at fbcconway.org with all of your videos and explanations for everything. He loves this stuff, okay? Please email him. Because we have a ton of issues that go back to this. And so let's address it as a large as a whole. And for some of you, listen, if you ask the question and you're like, man, he didn't get to what I asked. Listen, I couldn't talk about everything. I had to, we, had to, we had to choose. And so if you have something you're personally going through, just know our doors are always open. My door is always open. And if you got something that you're dealing with, I will sit down with you and talk about it. You won't surprise me. You won't shock me. I can help you walk through whatever you're going through from a biblical perspective or do my best. So moving forward, I started working with the Virginia Baptist, as you can imagine, the helpful group. And they invited me to take part in one of these um, mentoring leadership program called Uptick. It's a program for six men and six women to go through yearly, kind of like leadership or grand strain leadership. Yeah, something like that, except it's, it's, a, it's a smaller group. And we walk through and, and learn about mentoring, learn about leadership. It's just they invest a ton of resources into us, just about networking, mentoring. Just it's a really good program. And so Virginia Baptist, well, they're pretty diverse. I mean, you have all sorts of different people in there, and it, it really strengthens your faith, if I were to be honest. But you have people all over the, the theological spectrum, the evangelical theological spectrum, okay? I mean, so people are kind of dealing with all sorts of things. And one of the things I was immediately confronted with is how different some of the people talked. Specifically, my mentor, his name was John Chandler. He was a man who loved the Lord, a man who had invested in me, spent time with me. I mean, I don't know how to say it, but he spent far more time helping me grow than my father ever did. I mean, so this was a man who I just couldn't figure out, like, why is he loving on me? Why does he care about me? Why is he investing so much in me? And he had a long track record of discipling people. I mean, very intelligent man, very, a lot smarter than I am. And he invested and would raise a lot of funds specifically to raise young leaders. I mean, this was his life, loving and discipling, teaching people the Bible, loving the Bible, studying theology. He loved the Bible. I mean, everything we did was centered around God's word. When we'd go away for retreats, every morning we'd learn about God's word and we'd have devotion time before we went and met with a theologian to learn even more about God's word. You understand? Like everything was centered on the Bible. But he wouldn't say the right things. And it drove me crazy. He would not use certain words that I thought he was supposed to use. Somewhere along the way, I picked up that the Bible is inerrant and infallible. And if you don't say those two words, you don't love Jesus. I don't know where I picked it up. I just found it somewhere. I don't know. It just kind of hung on to me. And if you don't say them in that order and specifically, that means you don't love Jesus. I mean, we go all the way there with it. I don't know where I learned that, I just did. And so he didn't talk like that. He wouldn't use those words and I couldn't understand because I struggled. I saw his faith, I saw his love, I saw how much he cared about God's word, I saw how much he taught about God's word. I mean, he was devoted to it beyond belief and voted in living it out and yet he wouldn't say the words he was supposed to say. 
And so I did what you'd imagine I'd do. I asked him about it. I said, John, why won't you call the Bible inerrant? I said, I know you believe the Bible. I said, you always point us to the truth of the Bible. I know you live out the Bible. I know you call sin, sin. So why won't you just say the Bible's inerrant? And he said something along the lines of, well, isn't that enough? I mean, I know he loved it. I know he taught it. I know the truth. I mean, he said, isn't that enough? He said, why do you think it's important for people to use a word like inerrancy? In fact, a claim that the Bible never makes for itself. Why do you feel the need? Someone needs to say that to describe the Bible in order for you to listen and believe. What's going on there? Well, he had me. My own sin had become apparent. You see, when I was making, had to make a choice between somebody who offered to help me and somebody who offered to be right, I chose the person who was helpful. But when it came to my own radar, I needed him to be right. Because I already knew he was helpful. And I realized I was doing the same thing I just fussed about. And it caught me. My own sin convicted me. And he radically changed the way I think about and use the Bible. Because now I'm on a discovery process on how to use the Bible and how to help people use the Bible. You see, God used that to change me. And my ministry now isn't based on being right. My ministry is based on being helpful. Because I want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe, I firmly believe that learning about God will be an eternal endeavor. Do you? I think we're going to be on this, on this journey of learning about God for eternity. So it's something we need to think about and it's something we need to pray about. And now some things, don't get me wrong, we have to draw a pretty hard line. I mean, sin is sin. It's pretty clear who Jesus is. I mean, that's the foundation of our faith. The resurrection, the gospel, I mean, all of that stuff, there's a, there's, we have to draw a hard line. And you know, you already know I do. But do we have to use certain words to stir up these things? And, and he just got me. And so my realization was, well, how should I talk about the Bible? And how should I understand the Bible? And I realized that I should probably believe about the Bible what the Bible says about itself. I mean, why do I need to impose things on the Bible that the Bible doesn't impose on itself? You ever thought about that? I have a lot, all right? And so I said, I should probably just use the Bible how the Bible writers tell me to use the Bible. If you have instructions, shouldn't you follow the instructions on how they say to follow the instructions? Or should you be like, you know what? I got this instruction manual. I'm going to use this to go cooking. You'd be like, what are you doing? Why, why would you even do that? That doesn't make any sense, right? Use the instructions, how the instructions were given. And I said, well, well, what does the Bible say about the Bible? And why do I need to argue about things the Bible doesn't argue about? What, what are we even doing? In fact, I would argue that the reason why so many kids walk away from the faith in college is because we've set them up with this problem. We've set them up with this way of thinking. And they, get, they, come, up, they come across as very educated, very well-prepared uh, professor who wants to destroy their faith. And so they come at it and try to poke holes in the Bible. And I'm afraid that's exactly what happens. And these kids walk away from the faith because someone told them, like they told me some other stuff, someone told them that either everything is true or nothing is true in the Bible. Y'all ever heard things like that? 
That is the silliest way to think, and we don't have to think like that. So rather than telling kids and rather than telling you what to think, perhaps we teach people how to think. And then they can deal with these things because they're going to deal with a society coming up that's going to be completely anti-biblical and try to poke holes in things. So we have to teach them on how to work through these things. So don't get too upset. But if you're already a little upset, you're going to get far more upset. But that's okay. We're going to keep going. I say what we do and and what we work through together is, is we look at Paul. The apostle Paul was an Old Testament, what? Scholar. So if there's anybody who could tell us what he thought about the Bible, it would be the guy who was a scholar of the Bible and then ended up writing a whole bunch of other Bible. I'm trying to figure out how many times I can say Bible, right, and just confuse all of us, okay? But that's what Paul was. The Apostle Paul was an Old Testament scholar. Peter was a what? Y'all need to go to Sunday school, okay? He was a fisherman. Paul was a scholar, right? So if there's anybody who knew what Jews and what people believed about the Bible, it would be the guy who wrote a bunch of Bible and was a scholar. Here's what he says, probably one of the most helpful lines in all the Bible. It says this, 2 Timothy 3.16, this is on the wrong side. I'm all confused now. Thank you, Mackenzie. You messed me all up, okay? Wrong side. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in what? Righteousness, that's right. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if we think about it, here's what Paul's telling us about the Bible. Number one, all scripture, they're God-breathed, which means they owe their origin from God. God gave them to us. God spoke them. So we know that God has revealed himself to us in scripture. Okay, so we know that they're from God, which is a great thing. And he says it's useful for teaching, which means the Bible is the source of Christian doctrine, right? We got to know what to believe. So the Bible is the source for Christian doctrine. And remember, just because it's doctrine doesn't mean teaching is like textbook style or just propositional statements, right? Most of the Bible or a lot of the Bible is stories, parables. We'll get to that in a little bit. The scripture is also good for rebuking, which means it corrects our doctrinal errors. It means when we think something and we think this is how something should be and we're confronted with God's word, a lot of times it rebukes us, doesn't it? It says, nope, you're off track. And we go, okay. But luckily for us, it doesn't just rebuke us, it corrects us. And correcting means when it tells you you're wrong, it also tells you how to get on the right path. Aren't we thankful for that? Is it ever helpful just to be told you're wrong with no other steps? You're like, I don't know, my mom did it to me all the time. I know, I'm feeling you, right? No, but it corrects us, so it helps us get on it. But also training in righteousness, which means how to live a holy life. Our goal should bring glory to God and all that we do that never changes. And so the point of it all and the point of the scriptures isn't to win a Bible trivia. How many of y'all like Bible trivia? Just three of us in here, because I was lying. I do not like Bible trivia, okay? Like, I get whipped in Bible trivia all the time. It always scared me, Bible trivia. I'll tell you a story, but we're going to move on. So it's not, the point isn't to win in Bible trivia. The point is to be trained in righteousness so the servant servant of God may be equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work, meaning God wants to prepare us. God wants to do something in our lives in order that we do these good works, in order for we to bring glory to God. So the Bible wants to do something in us. The Bible wants to do something, God wants to do something through it inside of us. So the goal isn't to know a lot about the Bible and be super rude human beings. The goal is to allow the Bible to transform us and becoming more like Christ. 
And so Paul says this again, something very similar about how to use the Old Testament, how to use the Bible. He says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 6. He says, now these things occurred as examples. He's talking about the past, um, the Old Testament, to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So another way we use the Bible is we read the stories in the Bible. We see the evil things and the sinful things in order to do what? In order not to do what? Yeah, in order not to do what they did. Like we can learn from their examples. So they give them as examples. Romans 15, 4, he says this. Paul says, for everything written that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we may have hope. So again, the Bible's there to prepare us, to help us, to encourage us. We can learn this faithful endurance. Because let's be honest, life is hard. I mean, you cannot read any of the Old Testament. You can't read the scriptures and think that life's supposed to be easy breezy. But you learn about endurance. You learn about God coming through. And so what we see is that in the scriptures, they're given to us for a purpose. And I know many of you are super smart and you love learning facts about facts, but the purpose of scriptures is to impact our lives, to help us grow, to help us become more like Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Do you know how sharp something has to be to divide that? to divide the marrow from the bone, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Listen, the scripture's alive. The scripture's active. It isn't some outdated puzzle that we need to crack. It's able to work in your life. It's able to judge what's going on in your life. It's able to help your thoughts and your attitudes. Listen, the scriptures were never, never supposed to be this ancient old book that we just try to figure out and know everything about. The scripture is supposed to be doing something in you. This is God's word who's speaking to you. You see, the goal of Christian life is change. It's transformation. We're growing, continue to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. And the Bible is alive. It's active. It's supposed to penetrate our soul. We see it teaches us for righteousness. It's able to correct us. It's able to teach us. It's able to rebuke us. It's a living book that we can find hope, that we can get endurance, that the creator of the universe gave us so we could learn about Jesus Christ and become more like Jesus Christ. Do you see how the Bible talks about itself? It talks about itself in a very active and positive way. An alive book. But Christians, pastors, Sunday school teachers, well, sometimes we get a hold of it and we turn it out to be a cold, aloof textbook. Don't we? That we just want to try to figure out and bore everybody to death. You ever been bored by a sermon? If you say right now, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the greatest sins of all is making the Bible boring. Because that's not how God intended it. Not at all. You see, the scriptures are supposed to move past the surface level of your life and impact inside in a very big way. And so when you read the Bible, when you think about the Bible, I want to encourage you to read it or think about it or go through it. Well, like you do a story. 
How many of you have watched a movie, read a book, or heard a story ever? Just a couple of us. Okay, we got some work to do, right? So all of us there, we all know about stories. But see, when you read a story, well, you're not caught up in the facts, are you? I'm going to be honest. You, you can't have all the facts because, you know, there's, there's a time limit. There's a, there's a purpose. You can't know everything about everything. That wouldn't make any sense. A story is there for a reason. So when we get into a story, we know we can't get caught up in all the details, we can't fill in all the facts. It's not possible. And when we go to the Bible to learn about all the details and we learn all the facts, we're really misreading it because everything in the Bible is there for a reason. And if you just focus on what's there and what it's trying to tell you, you can get far more out of it than trying to discover what's not there and what they may have left out. For instance, Scott has started seminary. Fun stuff, right, Scott? Where are you at? Yeah, he's back there. Okay, fun stuff. And right now, he is in the middle <laughs> of an Old Testament class, okay? And he is reading by far the most boring and worst textbooks known to mankind. Don't believe me? I've read them. They're awful because he is diving into, he is diving into the Old Testament stuff, okay? And what he's learning about is called ancient Near Eastern religions and cultures. So what they're comparing is... All the religions back in Abraham, all the time back in the Old Testament, we're looking at how those religions compare to the Old Testament religions, where they have in common and what's different. And I'm just telling you, unless you're a Hebrew scholar, it is rough. And one of the things he's dealing with right now is what we were talking this week is the scholars are trying to dismantle the story of Jericho. You remember that story, Joshua and Jericho? Remember the Israelites had to, had to walk around the walls for six days one time and then on the seventh day they had to walk around seven times. You remember that? Well, go ahead and let a, an archaeologist or scholar, again, send all of your videos and proof to scott at fbcconway.org. Just giving you a heads up about that. Okay. But so they, scholars love to dismantle that story. And just talk about, well, it can't be true because, because the archaeological evidence doesn't support that a wall was there and so on and so on. And I'm looking at Scott and I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, that's great. And so what does it matter? What does it matter if there were walls there or not? In fact, what does it matter if Jonah was really swallowed by a whale? In fact, what does it matter if Job was a real person or not? And to be fair, Scott looked at me like many of you are looking at me right now. But I said, what does it really matter? Somewhere along the line, we were taught that we have to read the Bible a certain way, and it sounds just like this, and us in the 21st century know exactly what they meant 4,000 years ago somehow. So what does it matter? So we talked about it for quite a bit. But you see, what if that wasn't the point of the story? You see, Jesus taught in parables all the time, didn't he? Now, was the point of the parable, the facts about the parable, or the point of the parable, the point, the idea behind it? Like, if you read the parable of the Good Samaritan, what's the point? To help people, right? Do we get caught up in all the details? You could, or you could understand that Jesus says to take care of people, because that's where the story's going. You see, when you think about the walls of Jericho, what that is is an amazing story of teaching us to trust God when things sound absolutely ridiculous. You ever had to do that? You ever had to do something that you thought was absolutely ridiculous and you wondered if God would come through? Story of Jericho, absolutely. You say, well, Brian, how does that really help? I don't know. How about tithing? 
It sounds absolutely ridiculous that if I give God 10% of my money, somehow he's going to bless that. If you don't think it's ridiculous, because you haven't tried it. But guess what happens? you got a room full of people that be like, it works. We don't know how to tell you. I'm telling you, it works. It just does. You tie then actually works. Or how about forgiveness? It sounds absolutely ridiculous that you need to forgive someone that's hurt you, doesn't it? Oh, you, we all have that person, don't we? But we find out when we forgive, God does something amazing through that. And so what if the walls of Jericho, walking around these walls, and the walls came tumbling down, what if that's there to teach us, not about the walls or how the walls are, if the walls were there, what if the whole point was, hey, Christian, follow God even when it sounds crazy? Which is more helpful? Yeah, that's where I'm at. Now, for the record, before I get all those emails, I'm fine with believing Jonah was swallowed by a whale. I'm fine with believing there were walls. I'm fine believing Job was a real person. All I can do, honestly, say, hey, that's what it is. That's where we're going, and let's move on. Because do you think anybody can prove whether or not Jonah got swallowed by a whale? How could you prove that? Like, how about we just think about Jonah's anger that he had? Jonah's racism that he had. I mean, Jonah was a mess. Like, dive into those topics for a while. It's much easier to just think about him getting swallowed by a whale, isn't it? Yeah, I know why we don't do it. Because we like to get distracted about the whole point of what we've really got to work through. Because I honestly believe God can do whatever he wants. I have a strong enough faith. I really believe any of that is absolutely possible because God is powerful enough and I trust God enough and I think at the end of the day that's the whole point of the stories to have a faith that trusts and a faith that believes and suppose somebody went back in the time machine they went back and they took pictures of the walls and proved wrong and they came back and they said look Brian I told you the Bible isn't true there were no walls in Jericho do you know it wouldn't change the way I read my Bible use the Bible think about my Bible or believe the Bible at all I would be rather concerned on why they chose to do that with the time machine. Like that's what would probably bother me the most. Or, more importantly, when your child goes to college and that professor sets up this argument that they wouldn't use on an actual other studied person, but they use it against that 18, 19-year-old, and they try to dismantle their faith. Because when that happens, because it will happen, Perhaps your student, your child can look at them and go, oh, you're what my pastor was talking about. Let me learn you something. Let me teach you how to read the Bible because you're doing it all wrong. Because that's what we don't want to set our kids up for this faith, this wrong faith. So we want to help them. And so, number one, when you read your Bible, don't get caught up in the facts. Get caught up in the story. Learn the point of the story, why it's there, when it's there. And also, when you read the story, get caught up in the excitement. If you, and for some of us, we don't like reading. So there's plenty of Bible apps where you can listen. I like listening to it better. I don't have to read it. Reading's harder, right? Just listen to the Bible in the background. But admittedly, genealogies, they're not that exciting, are they? Y'all ever actually made it through a whole list of genealogy? Yeah, it's rather, it's rather tough. But most of the stories are so exciting. Get caught up in the characters. Get caught up in the excitement and the drama. I mean, try to figure out why it's even there because if there's a story in the Bible, if there's, if there's a story, that means it's addressing a problem. 
a common human problem. You can read any story in the Bible and be very confident it will apply to your life somehow. So work through that, get caught up in it, and especially like Paul. Paul says the craziest things. Read 1 Corinthians if you've never done it. Those of you who like real documentary, like documentaries, or you like drama, you know who you are. Y'all like to stir the pot all the time. Yeah, read Paul. Because you'll be reading him going, I cannot believe he just said that. You'll read that church and go, and I thought our church was messed up. Who is Corinth? Church in Corinth? Makes our church look amazing. You just won't believe what he says which means you'll be able to learn what you can get away with saying as a Christian, right? You'd be like, well, Paul said it. That means I could say it. But get caught up in that these are real people, talking to real people, dealing with real issues. It's not a boring textbook. It's an alive document. It's God's word that wants to help you and train you and help you grow. Because what I'm asking you to do is I want you to get caught up in the story because I want you to live the story. In other words, I want you to get caught up in the gospel so you can live the gospel. I don't want you just to know about it. I want you to live it. You see, when when you read the Bible as stories and realize that God chose to speak through stories, he chose to speak through drama, he's supposed to speak through all that, it's okay to go through that. It's okay to experience that because art and drama speaks to us far more than just statements, doesn't it? Yeah, that's how he made us. It's okay. So get caught up in that. For instance, let me walk you through this. Galatians. Oh, I had the slide for that. But look, Galatians 1.10 says this. I am now not trying to win the approval of human beings. Excuse me. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, if you don't know that verse, it's a powerful verse. I believe one of the most important verses if you're ever going to serve in ministry is this verse right here. Because Paul is telling us something important. Now, can I try to figure out what was going on in Galatia? Sure. Can I try to figure out why was Paul writing this? Absolutely. But more importantly, I want to live this way. I want to live as if the approval of God is more important than the approval of people. You say, of course, Brian, we all do that. Come on. Are we more worried about being political or faithful? I can answer that for you. In this area, oh, I can answer it real quick. Are we more worried about integrity when we stand before God or integrity among our friends and what they may think? Sure, you can memorize it. Sure, you can recite it. But what's more important? Live it. Live that way. Live as if God is more important than any other human you've ever met. Much easier just to memorize verses, isn't it? Yet that we want to get caught up in the story, not to just learn what Paul was going through, but to live this way, to experience this. And imagine if we had churches who were full of integrity for the Lord, were willing to stand up for the Lord even when culture pushed against it. Amazing. But think about this one. Take Genesis 1-3. I know a lot of y'all like to argue about that. I am not one of them, okay? But so if you think about Genesis 1-3, in the beginning God created, by the way, I absolutely believe that. So in the beginning God created. Then you have the story of Adam and Eve, and then you have the story of sin. And so many people get caught up arguing about how that happened. But what if? What if we saw ourselves in the story? 
What if we saw like Adam and Eve, each and every one of us sinned? What if we realized that we didn't create ourselves and we're all responsible for the sin we've done against God? Which is easier, arguing about how the world was created or dealing with my personal sin? It's much easier to talk about hypothetical stuff, isn't it? But what if we got caught up in the story to live the story to realize that we too are sinners? And that's why Jesus came for us. Now, admittedly, the New Testament is very different than the Old Testament. Admittedly, it's just type of literature it is. And take the resurrection of Jesus, for instance. There is a profound amount of evidence about the accuracy of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus, the life of Jesus, it's no debating it. Scholars, even um, atheists or any type of scholars, nobody touches that anymore. The proof is already there. It's been done. Whether or not Jesus actually raised, that's faith. But the event that happened, that something happened, that Jesus was a real person, all that... Guys, that's been done. It's already proven. There's no, you don't have to argue about that. In other words, a college professor's not going to pick on Jesus, I promise. They can't. Jericho walls? Yep. That was a long time ago. We don't have the same type of evidence we do for Jesus. But regardless, well, look at what Paul says here, Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you didn't know, this is my favorite Bible verse. I actually didn't need to point to it. I already knew this one. This is by far my favorite Bible verse. Why? Because I want to live that way. Do you understand? Paul is not just talking about, well, Jesus died for our sins and Jesus rose. Paul has embraced it to live it. Do you see? I have been what? I too have died with Christ. We don't learn about Jesus' death just to know about his death. We learn about his death to, to die with him, to die to that sin. In order to, the life I now live, sounds like he's talking about a resurrection, doesn't it? A new way of living, right? He's embraced the death and resurrection of Christ. And it's not just this abstract idea somewhere out there. He's living as if it's true. He's embraced the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and now he lives all by faith in the Son of God. That's different just knowing Jesus died and rose again. He lives the story, excuse me, he knows the story to live the story. He knows the gospel to live the gospel. And that's what I'm trying to explain, that the Bible, we don't want to just know about it. We want to experience it. We want to allow it to transform our lives so we can live in a way that it's true. For instance, is it more important that you know Bible verses or live the Bible verses? Right, how many people do you know that know every Bible verse around, but they're the meanest human beings you've ever met for in your life? We laugh, but it's sad. I know I'm supposed to love God, and yet I choose never to do it. Yeah, love God, what does that mean, do that? How about we do that? That's what the scriptures are there for. And so, for clarity, there are absolutely non-negotiables about the foundation of our faith the standard for the doctrinal beliefs. Why can I say that? Well, because the Bible tells us that the Bible is the standard for our doctrine. Didn't it say it teaches us? That's the point. So we don't have to argue about is the Bible our doctrine? Well, of course it is. It says it is. But there are some things it doesn't say it is that we go too far with. But there are non-negotiables. What is sin? The authority of the Bible? Who Jesus is? The gospel? But the goal and the point is to live it. And that's what John Chandler did to me. I still don't know what he believes about inerrancy. Don't have a clue. But I know he loved me. 
I know he loves the Lord. I know he loves God's word. And he has one of those faiths. You ever met those people you look at and you go, yeah, I want to be like that. You ever met those people? So does it matter what he believes about inerrancy? No. Because he's shown me. Shown me far more than just some words. But perhaps he was just living this Bible verse out. I figured I'd throw this here for you. Second Timothy says this. I don't have it up. Okay, I didn't give that slide. But second, yep, here it is. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.23 says, don't have anything to do with foolish and, it's in the Bible, okay? Foolish and stupid arguments because you know they will produce quarrels. Do you know how our churches could change if we would just live this? Isn't this what we want to do? Argue about what? Yeah, all sorts of things. But Paul says, don't have... So the point is not knowing the verse. The point is embracing it. I know everybody's looking through their translations like, did I change a word? No, I didn't. It's, it's really in the Bible. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. What if we live that way? See, when we use God's word according to how we're told to use God's word, it makes our lives so much easier. We can then be open on how to read it, how to understand it, and where it's trying to lead us. I leave you with what Paul said to first what, what Paul said to Timothy once again. He says, But as far as you continue what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know that from who you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, the goal of the scriptures is for you to meet whom? Jesus. They all point to him. Jesus, our salvation is what we need to understand. That's where the scriptures are leading us, to know about Jesus Christ, to know him, to love him. But then continue on, next verse. And then all scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The scriptures, they will make you wise for salvation. They'll teach you all about Jesus. It will point to our incredible Savior, it's from God. It'll teach us. It'll rebuke us. It'll correct us. It'll train us to do in righteousness so we can be equipped to do these good works. In other words, the scriptures will teach you how to live a holy, godly life, a life that will bring glory to God. And I promise you, listen, this is important. I promise you, nobody can ever disprove that about the scriptures. They can't argue about it. They can't fight about it because that's what it's supposed to do and that's what it will do to train you, to teach you to live a holy life. And perhaps one day you can tell your college professor, you may be smart, but you don't know how to read your Bible. Let me help you with that. Because the goal for your life, the goal for my life, is to be transformed by Jesus Christ. Now, last thing and we're done. I'm not saying don't use your brain. I'm not saying that you should just believe what somebody tells you. Put thought into it. Think about your faith. Absolutely. But I am saying that we're on a journey of faith. And it's okay if it takes you time to believe things. It's okay. There's no way you're going to believe everything at once. It takes time. The Apostle Peter, he walked with Jesus for over three years. They still didn't get it. So give yourself some grace. But who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, start there. 
Because he'll change your life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much that when you gave us your word, you chose to give it to us in stories and poetry and wisdom and all sorts of different type of literature that we are just learning how to embrace and how to understand. Father, help us, each and every one of us, fall in love with your word. Help us study it, memorize it, trust it in order to live it out. Father, let us be the type of people who don't just know the Bible, but live the Bible. That live for your son. That bring you glory in all that we do. Father, we thank you for speaking to us through your word. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.